Hi, everyone. Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation with Eve Harrow on the Land of Israel Network. It is March 21st, 2023, ostensibly the first day of spring. They wouldn't really feel that here in the land. It's been raining for the last couple of days. Transition, transition, transition. 28th day of Adar, 5783, transitioning very soon. Uh, from the month of Adar to Nisan, Passover in a couple of weeks, our spring holiday. And if I sound exhausted, it's because I am. Except for Shabbat, I've pretty much spent the last eight days until midnight last night when we took them to the airport with, yeah, maybe about 770 people. Yeah, and if the number resonates for you, you know why. They came with Chabad, with an organization uh, called uh, the JLI. They came with Isra Maven. Shout out to JJ and to Zev for an unbelievable, unbelievably complicated logistical uh, week. Lots of staff, lots of incredible people. So we got all those people. We've got about 18 buses. I'm one of the guides. And it is wild. And um, for those of you who aren't familiar with Chabad, they're everywhere. Anywhere that we have traveled over the years, there's a Chabad house. There's a Shabbat meal, there's a friendly ear, there's a place to go. And they are really exceptional people, um, bringing people closer to Judaism, keeping people safe. And they, what, what this program is, and it hasn't run for three years because of COVID, um, different Chabad rabbis from around America came with people from their communities. So you have a really, really interesting mix of people. You have the Chabad emissaries themselves and their wives, who, of course, are Orthodox Jews. You have the people of their congregations, most of whom are not Orthodox Jews or people who are trying to get closer to Judaism, uh, even some people who aren't Jewish but are connected with a Jewish spouse or a Jewish significant other and want to learn more about it and learn more about Israel. Really, really interesting mix, challenging for me as somebody who, as you guys all know, kind of lives in between the Torah world and the academic world. So I'm sure that not all of my academic comments were appreciated by all the shluchim, all the Chabad rabbis. But it was good for me. It was good for me to also learn what to say, what not to say. I wanted to educate. I wanted to inspire, not to offend. Um, so, but I was also talking to the people on the bus who were curious, trying to kind of dance around the politics and the reform and all the hot and heavy items, although wasn't really able to do that. Definitely not the days that we were in Judea and Samaria, um, had some marvelous conversations, both with the shluchim, the rabbis, I didn't, of course, get to know all of them every, and every day was different. People picked their own um, their own path. So people, you know, there was a culinary tour, there was biblical, which is where I was, there was um, like more, uh, you know, jeeps and outdoor things like that, or hiking and, and all kinds of different tracks. And so people built their own schedules. So there were some people that I never saw on my buses and other people that were on my buses once. Uh, sorry about that, if not twice. And, uh, or some people that liked how I guided and switched over to my bus, which was really amazing. So um, there was one rabbi in particular that I only spoke to late yesterday, um, Rabbi Lipsker from, I believe, Reading, Pennsylvania. We kind of left things in mid-conversation. Amazing human being, works with addiction and, you know, with people who are really having a rough time. So we started talking about God, of course, and um, how when, many, when people don't have a warm childhood, they don't get unconditional love from their parents. So very often they also get mad at God. 
because that's considered, you know, like the father, right? That I didn't relate to that part of it. For me, it was actually the opposite um, because of not not having a warm and fuzzy childhood and not getting that unconditional love, quite the opposite. Uh, Hashem found me and gave it to me. So um, it wasn't a rejection at all. It was, uh, it was and continues to be a magnificent relationship that is the underpinning pretty much everything that I do. Anyhow, but we had a great conversation and really a very, very special person. It's not easy to work with addicts and their families and, and bring them back to, you know, having a, a normal and functional life. So he's just one example of many of them who are out there in, in not easy conditions, not in places where it's so easy to get Jewish education for their kids or kosher food. And that's what they do, um, challenge themselves to really, it's their life's mission to bring people to God and to uh, as much as possible to Judaism. And, um, you know, as much as I was impressed with them before, I have to say that the week did nothing to dispel that and to my tremendous gratitude for them for everything that they're doing. Um, really, it was, uh, like I said, it was challenging for me in many ways and the weather was on and off and some of the plans had to be changed, you can only imagine. But um, they usually do this trip every two years and I think that they might even do it already again next year. Uh, so if this is something, by the way, that interests any of you who are listening, um, you can be in touch with me. I'll pass you on to whoever's planning it because the year goes quickly. And and uh, I think it would be, you know, really incredible time. So for me, it was, it, like I said, it was challenging in many ways. Also, just, you know, logistically getting on places and going places, moving so many people around. Um, but it was great for me to be able to spend time with fellow tour guides one of the downsides of being a tour guide is that usually we are with tourists, which is what we do. And we don't really get to hang out with the people who share our passion and our, our insatiable curiosity about the journeys here and, um, and all that we know. So at dinner last night, we had a, a last dinner. So I was sitting near two two friends, two are our guides, and we were having an impassioned discussion about Herod, about are there ritual baths from the first temple period, about Torah stuff. And um, one of the people across the table calls himself the Shabbos Goy of his synagogue. He said to us, he said, I just loved watching you talk. He said, because you just got so into it. And he said, just, can you do this at home? And we all answered no, because, you know, our spouses are interesting people, obviously, and we love them, but they're not into the world that we're into here. And while we can talk to them about certain things, it's not going to be really that conversation because the depth of knowledge is different. And, um, and at some point also, they just get tired of hearing us and move on. So that kind of passion really only comes out when we're with other guides. And one of them is studying same program I was in last year he's still in it and he has had one of the professors that I loved so he was talking about what that professor said and some of the some of the new things that he's uncovered some letters from the Cairo Geniza that talk about um, someone being paid with cheese from the Hebron area during the Middle Ages. I know to you guys this sounds like tremendously interesting, but what it means is is that they were making cheese in Hebron. There was a Jewish community a thousand years ago in Hebron, and they were making cheese, just giving a little window into the day-to-day, which is what completely fascinates me because history books give us the broad strokes, but when we can really get into the little things, how people lived, where they lived, why they were making certain things, I don't know, maybe people weren't so lactose intolerant a thousand years ago. Anyway, so we were just getting 
getting excited about all these little trivia things that other people don't. And apparently the people around us were uh, appreciating our passion and understanding, you know, why we do what we do and why we were so excited to share it with them over the course of the week. So that was definitely a fun thing for me. But then I, uh, so I came home and I was not really listening to news during the week. I mean, I had to, I have to see what's going on all the time, also for safety reasons. But you know, someone might ask me a question, they heard something went on and what's happening. So I have to be up on it. And um, so what I was seeing, uh, in a way, was reflecting my week. Um, One of the things that is so bothering me about the demonstrations against the reform here in Israel is the sheer amount of hatred that is coming out from some of the people on the left. Not all the people on the left. I know people are going to these demonstrations because it's like the trendy thing to do now, okay? And, oh, Israel's sliding into fascism. If they really paid attention to what's going on, they might come to a different conclusion, but it's the cool thing to do now to take the kids Saturday night to a demonstration. Fine, okay. But some of the... Uh, going to, for example, surrounding the houses of members of Knesset and putting really nasty posters up on their homes. This is really crossing a red line. And this is why I think and I hope, quite honestly, that they're going to fail. Because when you look at a big picture, at societies that run on hatred instead of on love, I'm not going to say far from it that Israel is perfect and everything we do here is out of love. And we also have people like the people on the left, unfortunately, who now seem to be to a great degree representing Israel to the world, which is why I'm pushing back here a little bit in my own little way. Um, Those we've been there and we've done that. And like, I mean, I'll just tell you where I guided this week and how this kind of reflected really in a little microcosm, the Jewish journey. So um, the first day we were in Caesarea, that's where my bus was, we went up to Caesarea. So of course, we're talking about the Romans and about Herod and about the, the, their killing of Rabbi Akiva in the second century. And really, the Romans were just so cruel and not, not just in destroying the second temple, but really tremendous cruelty. And of course, as Christians, when it comes to crucifixions, so I hope everybody understands that that's the Romans. So there was whole, that whole theme. Then we went from there to the Rabin Center, which I guided, which also, of course, shows tragically um, what happens when hatred gets out of hand in society and where it can lead to and, uh, and how that has to be reined in very, very, very carefully. And people have to watch their words because otherwise it can go to places that are horrific and uh, should never happen. And then, um, then the next day, uh, we drove up to Tzfat, and Sfat is this beautiful city in the Galilee, and, and there's a lot of, um, it's kind of the center of Kabbalah, of mystical Judaism. But the reason for that is because of the Inquisition. It's because of Catholicism in the Iberian Peninsula that comes after the Jews, forces Jews to convert or Jews to run away. Um, and uh, that, of course, is, you know, in the end of the 15th century, not just 1492, but a few hundred years in that time period. I've talked about that before. So the underpinnings of Tzfat come from Jews running from that hatred and just, you know, just wanting to be Jews. Beautiful day up in the Galilee. Um, but of course, the day before, there was all this ruckus because it's not clear and Hezbollah, maybe someone had crossed the border from Lebanon and planted a bomb. Very unclear and um, and tense situation up in the north uh, in terms of, you know, the Lebanese border and what's going to be over there. Then the next day, went to Gaza, went to Kibbutz Alumim on the outskirts of Gaza. And of course, always have to have your antenna up out there and talking to the people living there who are living right on the border with people who hate us, with Hamas, 
who instead of taking the Gaza Strip and taking the infrastructure that the Jews left behind, instead of using all that, and everybody knows how totally against that I was, but instead of using it and moving on and creating a beautiful society, they've created a society based on hate and based on trying to destroy Israel and using the tremendous amounts of money and facilities and cement and everything that comes in from people all around the world in order to not make their lives better and their people's lives better. They really don't care, but in order to make the lives of Israelis miserable and worse. So that was that day. The next day, I was in uh, Nebi Samuel, the traditional burying spot of Samuel the prophet, and a whole lot of history happening on this very high mountain just outside Jerusalem, and a lot of wars, the, tren- the trenches from the wars with the Jordanians, and you know any high spot has been noticed over history. Also overlooking the Tel of Givon, which has been positively identified, and that's the place where King Solomon asks for um, like a listening heart. It's, and so God gives him, God likes that, gives him also wisdom and riches. Unfortunately, the riches and the horses and the pagan wives lead him astray at the end of his life. But he's really, it's one of the profound messages of the Bible is, you know, how to be a good leader, how to be able to really connect with your people, empathize with your people. And he, of course, is the one who merits building the first temple, no less, the house of God. And then the next day, City of David, the, you know, the, the ancient uh, Jerusalem, and going through there and, of course, discussing across the valley and copying the words or repeating the words of Elijah the prophet from so long ago, have you murdered and also inherited? So in the so-called traditionally Arab part of Jerusalem is where Jews lived until they were forced out by pogroms in 1929 and 1936, and then the ethnic cleansing of the Jordanians of that part of Israel in 1948. And so now we're not supposed to be there because, I don't know, because some people believe in ethnic cleansing, even though they wouldn't say so, but they're going to start history when they're going to start history. And of course, the sadness all the way through here, not just of the enemy, who's the enemy, and I really don't expect more of him than to do whatever it is he's going to do, but the sadness that there are Israelis and Jews who promote that and agree with the other side and don't understand that hurting Israel hurts themselves, or maybe they don't care. They want to win some kind of popularity contest among others. And so they've turned and betrayed their own people. And in many, many conversations that I've had with Muslims over the years, they despise the Israeli left because of that, because people who betray their own tribe are the lowest of the low. But trying to explain to the Israeli left that they're useful idiots doesn't really work, at least not for me. So that was Friday. Shabbat, I was home. Sunday, the entire group went down to Hebron. And of course, Hebron, the Tomb of the Patriarchs, and we went into different places. My group, I guided Beit Hadassah, which was a branch of Hadassah Hospital, until 1929, when the Arabs of Hebron slaughtered the Jews of Hebron and the British, for their own good, of course. The British only do things for people's own good. Uh, pulled the Jews out. And, uh, and the, you know, so guiding there, hearing from Noam Arnon, who's the, a longtime resident of Hebron and who just did a PhD dissertation on the history of the Tomb of the Patriarchs. And so really, you know, getting to know Hebron, we're all, we can only take them to a small part of it. Only 3% of Hebron is controlled by Israel. And to really trying to explain to them how Hebron is microcosm of Israel. A few Jews surrounded by an army protecting them 
surrounded by a sea of Arabs. So that's Hebron, but that's also Israel. And then having a beautiful, beautiful Hachnasat Sefer Torah, a uh, bringing of a Torah scroll that apparently was originally in Gush Katif, speaking of hatred and bringing that out, um, and brought to its new home in Hebron. I didn't quite get the backstory about why only now 18 years after Gush Katif it was being brought there. But we were dancing and singing and music. Chabad always has music everywhere. A little too loud sometimes for my now very sensitive ears, and my watch was blaring incessantly. You know, I've got this watch now with the the uh, volume warning, right? You're in an area of 90 decibels, and it's, you know, it's going to permanently hurt your, hurt your ears. So that was blaring not so uh, rarely during the course of the week. But anyway, dancing and singing and really um, celebrating the fact that this is where Abraham makes the first connection into the land of Israel, a connection that could be a connection for a lot of people, but unfortunately, Hebron is, um, is on the Arab side, a haven of terror, um, of raising people. And, and really, when I thought about it, and I thought about, and again, this is a generalized statement because every society has their bad people, but what the society does with their people, the messages that society gives out is the critical aspect. So I'm going to say that again. Every society has amazing people and really crummy people, but where, what's the majority and what are the messages of society? So the message of our enemies, virtually all, is hate and anger and you can tell me that I'm just talking about their leadership, and that's fine. And I personally believe that Iran, for example, most of the Persians are probably very lovely people who wouldn't mind it all live coexisting with Israel and their leadership, their virulently jihadist Islamist leadership have taken over. But it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant because these countries that are all controlled, except for Israel, all controlled by dictators, absolute monarchs, what what have you. It doesn't it almost doesn't matter what the people say and they can try and have an uprising and in Iran the girls can try and throw off their head covering. But in the end, the country's gonna do what their leadership says. So and go in that direction. And so it's hatred. It's hatred, it's hatred. And I see it in the Palestinian Authority. We see the film clips. They're all available for Palestinian Media Watch and other organizations in memory, how they are raising their children to hate, to hate, to hate, and to hate. And the Germans, if you heard about it, the German tourists to Israel who went into Nablus and to Shechem in an Israeli rental car and barely made it out with their lives only because of a kind and decent Arab Israeli who saw them and, and got them out of the city and saved their lives were they not lynched and you know and just for what reason for what reason why why is the first reaction hatred and anger and wanting to kill and then of course the terrible news from yesterday that Or Ashkar who was badly hurt in the terror attack in Dizengoff 12 it's now 12 days ago succumbed to his wounds and listening to his family, and I don't know his family, and I don't know anything about their background, but the announcement that they made, no hatred, no anger, no death to anybody, just speaking about him, about his love for everyone. He was an Iron Man contestant, like he was also, you know, physically, um, physically very fit, and, and just loved life and loved to give. And they gave, they donated his organs, as did the Aniyah family, the two brothers that were killed in Khawara a few weeks ago, their family did the same. And and I look at the difference. I look at this family, the Ashkar family and the Aniyah family and the Paley family of the two little boys. And I, I listen to the parents 
in the depth of their grief. It cannot be any worse than burying a child or children. And that tells you who the people really are. And they are just about making society better and loving and giving. Is that all of Israel? No. But is that the message that the society is giving out? Absolutely. And the ones who aren't doing that are the ones on the outskirts and, and the ones who are dragging us into a situation that really we don't want to be in. And I see these two different societies. You can call them religious messages. Part of that is absolutely Judaism is very much about love. I know the Christians kind of grabbed onto the brotherly love tag a long time ago, which is kind of ironic because when you, when you go through the history, not a whole lot of brotherly love there for a long, long time. Today it's different, but for most of the last 2,000 years, it hasn't been reflected that way, which will bring me to my last day in a minute. And I think, first of all, how proud I am to be an Israeli, how proud I am to be Jewish, how I'm going to do my little bit whenever I can to try and spread that love, which doesn't mean that I'm going to hold back on opinions, uh, not at all, and just say, wow, everything is really great. But I do believe that there's a serious connection between the Six-Day War, between the enormous miracle that you just couldn't be denied, a global miracle, because everybody heard about it in 67, um, of the Six-Day War, where things changed maybe too quickly. Maybe we weren't ready for that. And part of the some of the decisions we made then is because we weren't ready. We weren't ready to get the Temple Mount. We weren't ready to liberate land where there were no Jews because the Jews had been thrown out, but there were a lot of Arabs whom we didn't throw out conquering also um, refugee camps that have been started by Arabs for Arabs, and no Arab has any interest in making these people's lives better, so all the onus falls on Israel and Israel and Israel and Israel. Nobody questions that, why the Arabs don't care enough about their own people, their own personal tragedy, and it really is. It really, really, really is. Um, but So maybe it happened too quickly, but I do think something shifted in the world. All of that Woodstock, granola, and all of that, maybe too much free love. You could definitely make a case for that. But that happens then. And the question for me now as I look at the world is who's going to win? I, I mean, I deeply believe that the love will win and the goodness will win. But because it's love and it's goodness, it doesn't always defend itself the way it should. That's the place that we find ourselves here in Israel. Personally, I think it's incredibly immoral to be weak. And to give in, I think the Gilad Shalit deal of giving, letting terrorists out of prison was incredibly immoral and not the right thing to do. When you empower evil, that is not the right thing. And sometimes you do have to defend yourselves and to fight. Um, the sixth commandment is not do not kill. It's do not murder. The messages in the Bible are huge. David has to kill King David. He has no choice. It's the only way. But... He doesn't, he's not allowed to build the house of God because of that. And there are many, many people around me here in Israel who've had to make that sacrifice. They've had to be able to defend ourselves, to defend us. Most of us can't defend ourselves, and so they defend us in many, many ways. But the price they pay is, is seared on their souls. The lovely young man who was with me on the bus today, uh, this past week, uh, the medic, you know, every bus had somebody to help them, logistics, you know, a, a coordinator, uh, help with everybody and just do, you know, pretty much everything. We were really a team. It's a delight to work with him. But he's got his PTSD from his army service, and I pretty much probably don't know anybody in Israel who doesn't. There's a high price. It's a high price to be paid for that, for defending ourselves. So when people asked me what I thought we, we should go to, 
I said, we need, because I want peace so badly, we need to be so strong that they won't mess with us because making compromises and making deals with people who just want to wipe you off the face of the earth is not the way to peace. And it's a terribly, terribly difficult path to follow because we really just want to be left alone that it's not going to happen. Which brings me to the final day of the trip, which was really both sides of the pendulum for me anyway. In the morning, it was guiding Ad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem which of course is never an easy thing to do. And the hatred just screams out at you from from the videos of Hitler, may he burn forever, um, on the screen. <laughs> I was going to say may he burn in hell forever, and I was just <laughs> I was laughing because the way I got to the, there was terrible traffic in the morning when I left my house in Gush Etzion, and I had to get to the hotel to meet up with the group to start the day. So I ended up literally going through hell because Chevron Way, which was the main artery, was super socked up. So I took a detour, and I went down to the Valley of Hinnom, to Gehinom, which is synonymous with hell. It's where Jeremiah is yelling at the Israelites at the end of the first temple period to not sacrifice their children to Malach. Thank God we don't sacrifice. Our neighbors sacrifice their children. There is still child sacrifice in the world. I can understand why Jeremiah was so beside himself. But anyway, I was saying to myself, wow, I really went through hell to get to the hotel this morning. Um, It's just one of those little ironies of living here. But anyway, so I, I went to Yad Vashem and guided there, and you just see the hatred, the hatred of the Germans. I, I made the mistake, and I don't know why I do this occasionally, of answering somebody on Facebook who just made such an egregious remark about how Israel is, you know, committing genocide and torturing people. And, you know, I looked this guy up, and he lives in Germany. It's like, really? I mean, I think anybody, I'm sorry, but I think anybody who lives in Germany should just sit down and shut up when it has anything to do with the Jews. I mean, really? What hubris? Anyway, so I made that mistake, but uh, and then I just dropped it because what was the point? I already take pills for high blood pressure. Um, so you see that screaming out at you and where it goes and how it destroys a millennia of Jewish life, not to mention, of course, at least six million Jews and many, many other really good people. Um, in World War II and how, you know, the Jews who limp out of there and some of them make it to different parts of the world, Australia, the United States, Canada, England, etc. And some come here, adding to an already traumatized country between the War of Independence and the the Middle Eastern Jews who had got, you know, who were getting, in the process of getting thrown out of their countries, um, which is why, like when I was in Egypt, the synagogues are empty and everybody was gone already in 1956 and more and more and more and more. So that was like the epitome of hatred, of course, Yad Vashem. And then um, we went and had the final uh, outing was an ammunition hill, um, a hill that Israel had a very difficult battle with the Jordanians in 1967, the paratroopers, and from there were able, though, to go and to liberate the old city and the Temple Mount. And there were soldiers there, and we were dancing with the soldiers. It was raining, it was drizzling. We were dancing with the soldiers, and the Chabad rabbis were telling everybody, because people might not have known that if it wasn't for these soldiers, we wouldn't have been able to do anything that we were doing during the course of the week, and how they protect us and give us a few years of their lives in order, you know, to make that happen. It was just a beautiful thing. Again, it was the message of love, of love and of protecting the tribe and of all being together. And I put all these things together and I listen to the news and I hear about troop movements here and there. And Ramadan is starting this week and Ramadan is the Islamic holiday, which of course 
They fast all day and eat at night, but it usually is speeches about hatred and killing the infidel. And so the Israeli security apparatus is concerned that there will be violence during Ramadan because that's how they celebrate is by fomenting hatred. And so this is my conclusion. (laughs) It was a very intense week that kind of brought everything in, the places that I went to, the people that I spoke to, the things that were happening on the news, um, the events of the time. We're probably heading into a very difficult time. And not just prayers are going to be needed, but support in any single way, in every single way that you can. Um, I think we're heading towards a time of some kind of clarity. It's inc- it's very foggy right now and very not understandable. But I think we are in, uh, individually and as humanity heading towards a time where there is going to be some kind of clarity between who is good and who is evil. And there's a lot of confusion out there. And we all as individuals are going to have to make that choice. And those of you listening, hopefully you've already made that choice, but you might have to. And to really try and ignore as much as possible the manipulations and the messages that we are being given. Like I look at these demonstrations here, they're costing millions of dollars. Millions. Where's the money coming from? And why? And who's trying to weaken Israel? And why? And, you know, are the Israelis here being used? Are they a part of it? It's not just about the judicial reform. It's about something much, much bigger than that. And um, so I couldn't and wouldn't want to ever be anywhere else, although I am traveling in April to a synagogue and again in August because I want to take the message out of here. Um, but this is, I feel that we are in, in the short term for a very rough ride. And I know that in the end, I'm sure in the end that everything will be fine. The only question is going to be the price that is paid. And that is up to all of us. So Eve Harrow signing off after a fascinating, exhausting, and exhilarating week. Uh, I hope wherever you are, you are safe, and you are happy, and you are healthy, and you are thinking about how you can make the world a better place, and before it's too late, before the massive, you know, guns are opened on, on countries and on people, um, it's not still too late, I think, to make our voices heard and to try and, and, you know, put the brakes on what's a very slippery slope from all over the place, from China, from Putin. It all seems like that's, even though we're going into the spring, there are really big storms brewing. And I hope not. Um, is it chutzpah Is it what they call unmitigated gall to ask for other miracles? I can't because I'm living a miracle every single day. Every single day that I wake up safe and sound in this country is in and of itself a miracle. So with gratitude to our creator and with thanks to all of you and to Tabitha and Ben for putting out this show. Take care, everybody. Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation. Goodbye for now.